All right, turn with me over there to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12, and the title is A Call to Suffer. This is something that we don't often think of um, within the Christian faith. Um, We should, because it's all over the Scriptures. It's all over the Bible. You're going to see it. Uh, Many of the other epistles speak of it. Jesus, of course, spoke with it, spoke of it. And told us how to respond to it. But this is something that is a reality for so many people. They face these hardships. They go through difficulties. And, you know, what we're going to be reading is Paul's in prison. He's about to die. So this isn't just a, you know, I got a flat tire on the way to a Bible study kind of suffering. All right. This is like my life is on the line. And church tradition, again, as I've shared in our last study, on Timothy is that he lost his head. I mean, they, they, they took his head from him. And he suffered, and he went through many things. And he's going to call Timothy to do the same. I want you to suffer, Timothy. I don't want you to be afraid or ashamed or cowardly. I want you to be willing to suffer as well. So he calls him to suffer. Let's uh, begin reading at verse 6, and then we'll take it down to verse 12 so we can get that whole section in our mind, and then we'll go back and begin to uh, dive deeper into different aspects of this uh, passage. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher Of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed him to him until that day. So we begin there in verse seven, where Paul gives the exhortation that Timothy should not be hindered or not use his gift because of fear. And the first thing that he says is that God has not and does not give fear. I mean, that that seems self-evident to a lot of us. But, you know, there can be times when I am dealing with fear or you begin to deal with fear and we begin to think, well, Lord, if if this is what you want me to do, then then take away the fear. Or maybe God has put fear in my life and that fear is there. And if he doesn't if he would want me to step out, he would remove that fear from me. And then I would I would then step out. So maybe God's the one that's put this fear in me and that's why I'm not stepping out with my gifts or maybe that's why I'm not stepping out and sharing. But the Bible says God doesn't give fear. That's not what he does. What does the Lord give? It's a word that's pretty similar, four letters. He gives faith. He doesn't give fear. Faith is a gift from the Lord. Fear is something that, of course, the enemy loves to generate within us. But sometimes that fear is just, gener- it's just it's kind of our personality. There's some of you that like, you don't know what it means to be embarrassed. You've never been embarrassed a day in your life. You just, like, you just roll, you move into a situation, and you just feel so comfortable in every situation. 
Yeah, all the rest of us aren't like that, okay? We, we, we are aware of ourselves, maybe too aware of ourselves, you would say, and you probably would be right. But, you know, it's not just that we have a, a fear of sharing the gospel. I mean, we have the fear, you know, it's like you would be afraid to talk about, you know, if you were a vacuum salesman, you would be afraid to talk about vacuums. It's not just the gospel that you're afraid to talk about. It's vacuums or encyclopedias or anything else. That's just your, your personality is just not like that. So that, that might be part of why uh, what Timothy was like. He was just kind of wired as more of a, a timid type of person. It certainly could be the enemy. The enemy works to create fear in us. But one thing is for certain, it does not come from God. God does not want you to be sitting on the sidelines of Christianity because of fear. He wants you to be stepping out, although you may have fear, He wants you to be stepping out in faith to see what the Lord will do. So, God wants us to work. God wants us to be uh, using our spiritual gifts. And it, it, God is glorified in the work that we do step out into. And maybe this will serve as a motivation. God's name will become great. It will be glorified through the things that we do, through the fruit that comes from our life. I remember when I was, uh, I don't know how old I was. I was early 20s, and I was about to take over a position um, at a church as a youth group. It was a, it was a youth group that was bearing much fruit. And I just had this thought. It's like, man, part of me would like to take over a youth group that's doing terrible that way. If the good youth group goes bad, it's not me. You know what I'm saying? Just, I, just some thoughts that were going through my mind. But this was a, a youth group that was bearing a lot of fruit. And I, I remember talking to a brother one time. And um, I said, just want you to pray for me and be stepping out. And I just... I'm just, you know, have a little bit of fear, you know, that it's just not going to keep going well. He goes, now, why would you think that? I said, I don't know. I just, it's a fear. He says, well, he took me, you know, to uh, John chapter 15, you know, that we abide in the Lord. And that as we abide in him, we bear much fruit. And God is glorified in that he, um, that we bear much fruit. I mean, he gets glory from that. He goes, listen, this is not about you. This is about the glory of God. So quit fearing and understand that God wants his name lifted up and he's going to use you or he's going to use somebody else. And, you know, that was so liberating for me. That was, exact, that was like a prophetic word in Detroit Warner's life at that moment. I'm like, all right. I can wrap my mind around something like that, something that's big and meaningful, like the glory of God. And it helped me to deal with the fear that I was feeling. But God doesn't give fear. But what does he give? He gives power. Still there in verse 7, he doesn't give fear, but he gives us power. Now the word power here is the word dunamis. It's the same word that is found in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to turn over there. You can start heading that way now if you want to. In Acts chapter 1, but you shall receive power or dunamis when the Spirit comes upon you. So the Lord doesn't give fear, but what he does give is he gives us power. He gives us that divine enabling to accomplish the work that he has called us to. Now, we derive our English word dynamic or dynamite from this word. Now, does, does the word here in 1 Timothy uh, 1.7 mean dynamite? No, they didn't have dynamite, so it didn't mean that. But, but you do get a sense of this moving kind of power that God puts upon 
his children, and he was telling timid Timothy, listen, you don't have fear from God. If you have fear, that's come from somewhere else. But what you do have is you have God's power. Let's, let's look there in Acts chapter 1, and we'll read verse 8, and then we're going to kind of skim through part of chapter 2 until we get down to verse 14. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So where does this power come from? It comes from the enabling of the third person of the, of the Godhead. When he comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses, or you could translate that martyr, to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the word we read here, witness, we understand that. Making a proclamation, telling people about who Jesus Christ is, what he did on the cross, how he rose from the dead, and we make a witness. But the Greek word that's translated witness in some places is translated what? Martyr. So when Jesus said, I want you to have power upon your life that you might be my witness, my martyr, they're hearing these words, and there was such a close association between proclaiming the name of the Lord and martyrdom, persecution, that we find this word going in those two different directions. So meaning one, meaning two. So he says, you're going to have power that's going to come upon you to be witness. And so these people that heard this, he said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem, and they, they wait there, and 120 went into the upper room. All 120 that walked into the upper room were thinking something like what Jesus said in verse 8. When they went there, they were thinking things like, man, we need power. He said that we're going to go to the ends of the earth. He said some of us will be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If I'm going to the ends of the earth, man, I definitely want the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon my life. And they came, and essentially they were signing up for the work. If you had no intention of going and being a witness, you had no business being in the upper room. Do you, do you see that connection? If you, if, you are, if you are going to tarry, there's going to be a power that's going to come upon you, and that power is going to come upon you that you might go and be a witness. So if you're coming to the meeting, you're signing up to be a witness, and you're waiting for that power to come upon your life. Sometimes we may wonder at the lack of power that we feel in our Christian walk. Well, I just don't feel the power. And I think sometimes we expect that it's going to be like the Incredible Hulk kind of power. It's like something's going to happen. Something's going to trigger. And all of a sudden, you know, the power of the universe is going to be coursing through my veins and I'm just going to feel like my spiritual clothes are just getting tattered because I am now ready to go. No, it doesn't usually work like that. It doesn't work like that. It is a power that comes to you as you step out and as you begin to do the work. I, I know that many of you would give the same testimony. It's when you stepped out that the power of God met you. What did Jesus say when he was talking to his disciples about being arrested and taken before the magistrates? He says, I will give you what to say in that very, what does it say? Hour. I'm not going to give you your five-page discourse months ahead of time that you can rehearse and you can have it all memorized so that you're ready to do it and you can work on your inflection and your, you know, your passion. No, so I'll tell you in that very hour, my power is going to come upon you in the moment you need it, I would say. They were coming to go. 
they needed it. I tell you where the power, this power in particular, this dunamis, to be a witness is not needed. It is not needed inside a church. It's needed when the church goes outside. Now, we need, we need to hear the word of the Lord. We need to be exhorted. We need to be comforted. We need to be convicted. Right? We need to see the prayers be answered. We need to serve. We need to have the power of God upon our life and service. But this power to be a witness and to suffer is needed not inside the church. It's when the church goes outside. So maybe one of the reasons why the church is not experiencing the power is because she's not going outside. And when you step out, that's when you're going to see the boldness. You know, I, I, I don't know if there's ever a time where I have shared the gospel where there wasn't some kind of timidity that preceded it. I was like, oh, are they going to respond? What are they going to do? Are they going to get mad? Are they going to yell? Are they going to scream? You know, um, you know, I worry less about having the right answer, but I remember... That was very much an issue. Am I going to know what to say? I'm going to have the right answer. But, you know, when you step out, it's when the Lord meets you. Remember the children of Israel when they were crossing the Jordan River and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders? And the Lord said, as soon as the sole of your foot touches the water, the waters will part. And I think sometimes we're like, I tell you what, as soon as that water parts, I'm going. I am walking through as soon as that water parts. I have no problem walking through a dry riverbed that is... You know, a miracle has just been performed. The Lord's like, no, I'm going to perform the miracle when you step out. Yeah, but if I step on water, what if, what if I fall and I got the Ark of the Covenant and I don't want to mess things up? I want you to step out and I'm going to show up. And so if you are that believer here who has been prayed for to receive the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life and you still feel like, well, I still feel, you know, fear at times. Listen, okay, that, that you're measuring it. You're thinking of it in the wrong way. You need to understand that when you step out, that the Lord is going to give you what to say and is going to give you the boldness in the face of what you are facing. As I said, I, don't, I can't recall a time when I've stepped out where I wasn't first preceded with some timidity, but I can also tell you I cannot think of a time while preaching the gospel and sharing or witnessing that I became overcome with fear, but had boldness to speak. And this, to, to, to say the things that I ought to say. So understand that the power will be met with the stepping out that you go. Now there may be times where you have this sense, this uh, experience like they had, where there was something demonstrative that took place in, your, in their life, in their walk. But I think most believers would tell you today that are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's when they stepped out that they saw the power Come and be present in their life. So dunamis is what we need. Now, listen. He says, you don't have fear, but you have power. And now some of you may be thinking, yeah, but that's Paul. And that's Timothy. All right, Troy, you're, you know, you're a pastor. You, you need that. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I mean, maybe this power is just for like a certain group, a certain gifting of believers. Well, if that's what you're thinking, I'm glad you're thinking it. Because... The Bible makes it very clear that it's for all of us. So let's keep on moving into chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Um, They received this power. They begin to speak in tongues. People are saying, what's wrong with these people? Are they drunk? And in verse 14, Peter responds, 
standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. You have Peter standing up, speaking to everybody that can hear his voice, and yet 50 days earlier, he was afraid to identify himself with Jesus in front of how many people? One servant girl. He was overcome by fear because of one servant girl saying, aren't you a disciple? And now here he is. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. And, and there, the, people are coming to find out what this outpouring is. This outpouring is going to give him power and boldness. And here it is. You see it, that power and that boldness at work. Verse 15, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. If you're ever going to say God's doing something, you better have a cross-reference for it. Right? This is what the Word of God says. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my flesh on what? I will pour out my spirit, excuse me, all my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all all flesh, not just Paul, not just Timothy, not just evangelists, not just pastors, everyone, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. There is going to be a power upon all of my people under the new covenant as members of the body of Christ, the church. You are not only saved and brought into the family of God, you are also given a spiritual gift, and the Lord wants his power to be upon you to do the work that he's called you to do. And so it is for all. So if you're thinking, well, it's not for me. No, it is for you. It is for you. Well, I've prayed, and I haven't ever felt, you know, the power of the universe coursing through my veins. Okay, well, join the club. None of us have. We just, stand, we just we believe in faith that as we step out and our, our foot touches that witnessing situation, the words are going to be given. That we're going to have something to say. That the Lord is going to tell us how to handle that situation. So we haven't been given fear. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. But we've been given power and we've also been given something else. We've been given love. We've been not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. You know, love is an important thing when dealing with fear, isn't it? What do, what do kids do when they get afraid? Little kids, what do they do? They run to their mom or dad. They run to mom and dad because they, they know they're loved there. And because they're loved and they're afraid, they will find comfort in that place. Knowing that you are loved of God will help you. To deal with fear. Number one, knowing that the fear that you feel is not from God. Secondly, he's giving you power. So don't be afraid. He is going to show up in your life when you step out and you begin to proclaim the gospel. But you're loved. And that love, knowing that we are doing the things that the one who loves us has called us to do, will give us a sense of calm and rest. All right, I'm doing that which he wants me to do. And so there is that love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. There's no fear in love. 
The more you saturate yourself in the knowledge that you are loved by God, the less fear you will deal with in your life. Circumstances cause you to fear. Meditating upon your maker will cause you to have faith. It will give you peace in your life. And so it's so important for us to to walk in this love. Um, Love, again, will move us to do many things. Uh, Albert Barnes, I quote from him, he writes, Nothing will do more to inspire courage, to make a man fearless of danger, or ready to endure privation and persecution than love. The love of country and wife and children and home makes the most timid bold when they are assailed. And the love of Christ and of a dying world nerves the soul to great enterprises and sustains it in deepest sorrows. When we are walking in the love of God, we will feel the strength and we will understand that we're doing what God wants us to do and we will step out because of the loss that are around us. So we've not been given fear. But we've been given love. We've been given power. And lastly, we've been given a sound mind. Now, you may question that among some of the people you're around. But, but the Bible says that we have, from the Lord, been given a sound mind. That is, the ability to make good and wise decisions. But these decisions are not based upon human wisdom. The ways of the Lord are higher than our ways, right? And so we follow the Lord. and We do the things that He calls us to do. You know, Paul was in prison. Wisdom would say, don't go back to prison. Therefore, whatever thing you did to get in prison, don't ever do that again. That's what the world would say. But he was in prison for sharing the gospel and proclaiming the love of Jesus Christ. So the sound mind and wisdom of the Lord is continue to proclaim, continue to speak that word. And there are many believers who have stepped out in faith to go and do exactly what Paul's telling Timothy here to do, to stir up that gift of God in their life. And there's been people that stand by saying, you're crazy, that's a wrong decision. No, it's not the wrong decision. It, it's, it, we have a sound mind. We have wise and good understanding when we step out in the proclamation of the gospel. It was Jim Elliott who was told, who was, had such a promising life in front of him, so talented, so gifted, he said, you know, you know, Jim, you're wasting your life. He says, no man is a fool to give up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. And he gave his life for the gospel. And, and the world will look and say, that's not good you know, wisdom. No, that's great wisdom. Doing what God has called us to do and faithfully proclaiming that message, that is the wisest thing you can do is to be obedient to the Lord. In verses 8 through 10, he's going to continue exhorting him in the same light. And he's going to tell him to not be hindered because of hardship. So don't let fear keep you back, but don't let hardship keep you back. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. The therefore, verse 8, is saying, press on. Press on. I mean, you don't have fear, but you've been given love and power and a sound mind. Therefore, dive into it. Don't be ashamed. Don't allow the proclamation of Jesus Christ and your association with him, the testimony of our Lord, to cause you to feel 
cowardice. Don't let that happen. Nor of me as prisoner. Don't be afraid of your association with Jesus and don't be afraid of your association with me. And if, if you know, in our world today, I mean, you can, you can say, well, I, you know, I love Jesus. No, that's great, you know. But you want to get real specific about what loving Jesus and following Jesus is about. Now that's when you can begin to get in a little trouble with people. Well, I believe in his word. And I believe that we should obey it. And I believe that when he said that he is the way, the truth, and life, and no one can come to the Father except through him, I believe that Jesus is the only way, that Christianity is, a, is the exclusive way to have salvation. I believe that we should obey the commands of the Lord, that we should live our life the way that he's told us. Now you're in trouble with people. So that testimony of our Lord that I am a Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christian that is what will cause them trouble. And that's when you will feel the trouble. But maybe it's not directly the Lord. Maybe it's just an association that you have with other godly men or women that are well known for their faith and their proclamation of the gospel. And when people realize, oh, you're connected with like them? You're connected with like born-again people? Yeah, born again. Oh, and then all of a sudden, you begin to feel that heat. You begin to feel that rejection. And Paul's saying, don't allow the association with the Lord or me to cause you to be ashamed. But what does he tell him to do? In the middle of that verse, he says, but share with me in sufferings. Share with me in sufferings. You know, people that um, have fought in battles have had somebody that was over them saying, let's go into battle. Let's, let's go and whatever the mission might be, let's go now. We're going out. And that, that individual is giving the commands is basically saying, let's go suffer. Let's potentially suffer. And there's that call to risk life for whatever that mission, whatever that cause, fighting for your country. And we all can be so thankful that there are people that have done that and continue to do that for our freedom and for our liberty. But there's a, there's a suffering and a willingness to lay down life that's even greater than that. And that is for the kingdom. And to be willing to suffer. And Paul's like, listen, I'm in jail. I'm probably going to die. They might cut my head off. But why don't you share in sufferings with me? There was no fear in Paul to call other people to follow a dangerous life of the gospel. And that's what it was. It was a dangerous life. Jesus said it as much, didn't he? That we would have difficulties and trials for following him. Share in suffering. Now, suffering. You know, we, we talk about this, and if we think about it through the, our context of American uh, Christian, suffering is not all that bad. I realize some people go through difficulties, even in this country, inside and behind doors, or, you know, on a limited scale, but not an all-out assault against the Christian faith to eradicate it. We don't deal with that. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that we have that. To whom much is given, much is required. What does the Lord want us to do with our freedom? What does the Lord want us to do with the ability to, to make the money that we're able to make compared to world standards? I think I know. I think he wants us to use our freedom, and he wants us to use our resources to get the gospel out there and those that are out there to be able to help them 
and to sustain them in that work. So suffering, what are we talking about? Again, it's not, you know, I was on my way to home fellowship and I got a flat tire again. I just, I don't know if I can even bear up under these trials anymore. That's not suffering. That's just a flat tire, okay? It's just a flat tire. You could get a flat tire going to the grocery store. You could get a flat tire going here. But he's in jail. If you, let's just think about this. Imagine that if on our way out of these doors, there was all kinds of people lined up to arrest us and assail us. And in being arrested, we ended up in jail. And we were, we, the, it became corrupt. And we couldn't get our day in front of court. And so we were there so long that we were able to get our jobs. And now we, we have no money coming in. And we began to lose all our homes and our cars and all that we have. And we finally end up getting out. And, and now we're out, but we have none of what we had before. Are you coming back to church on Sunday? Or are you done? Th- this is a kind of suffering. It's like, well, wait a minute. That can't happen in America. We've got a constitution. Last time I checked, Satan doesn't care about constitutions. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the country you live in. But if we think that Satan can't bring an assault against America and the church just because we have a constitution or a republic, we're just living in la-la land. Now, I I don't want that to happen, but it can happen. And what is our response? If if there was this kind of hardship, and I'm calling you, and you're calling me, hey, let's suffer for the namesake of the Lord. And there's some teeth on it, meaning we're actually going to have to deal with it. What is going to be your response? What's going to be your response? And you know, I think in our country, if this day ever comes, it's not going to come like this. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you love him, and you want to obey him. Therefore, we're going to arrest you. There's going to be another plausible cause for the persecution. It'll be some other thing. You know what? You people are against everything that's good and all kinds of freedoms and all kinds of liberties. You're a people that like to oppress. You don't, you don't want a woman to be able to do what she wants with her body. You don't want individuals to be able to live with they, however they want to. You, you tell people that if you know, they, they're to have sex inside of marriage and if you're born as a, a man or a woman that you're being created in the image of God and that's a good thing. And you're just against all kinds of freedoms. That's the way. Or something like that. There'll be another plausible cause that will come for the persecution. When Nero persecuted the church in Rome, what was the reason for persecution? You set Rome on fire. Who set Rome on fire? Nero set Rome on fire. But the accusation, the plausible cause for persecuting the church was, you did it. So it's not, I think we need to be wise to this. When it comes, or if it comes, it's not going to be because you just happen to love Jesus Christ and you want to worship and obey him. It's going to be some other reason that makes it acceptable in their conscience and among the larger community. But Paul says, share in suffering. Jesus told us about suffering and how he expected his believers' demeanor to be. What should yours or my demeanor be if we suffer persecution? Not flat tires, real persecution. What should our demeanor be? Well, Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. And I read to you from the New Living Translation. He says, What blessings await you when people hate you? 
and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors, Elijah, Moses, they treated the ancient prophets the same way. The response to agreeing to walk through suffering and to follow the Lord is not like, well, all right, we're just going to have to endure it. No, there's not enduring it. There's an enjoying it that the Lord wants us to have. When it happens, he says, look up. Something good's about to take place. When we endure persecution, Jesus, I want you to look and say, hey, the Lord must be ready to do something because we are going through difficulty and hardship and suffering. There's a blessing that awaits us. I don't know about you, but my mind needs to be recalibrated in that truth right there. Because that's not where my mind naturally goes. Nor does my mind naturally go to the place of, I want to get ready to do a little dance because I am being persecuted. That's not where my mind goes. It's kind of like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to endure? But you know what? Just as the Lord is economical in his distribution of power to those that are going and not to those that are sitting, I believe God's grace and joy is economical and will be dealt out when it's needed. So I have faith that if it comes to me or if it comes to you, that that kind of joy, that kind of demeanor, that kind of response, the grace for it will be given to me in that very hour. And I tell you what, I look and I say, I definitely will need that grace. If I watch you suffer or I watch my family suffer or if I suffer, I'm definitely going to need that kind of grace to be able to do it. But I believe God's able, don't you? I believe that God is able to show up and give us that. But, but I, what I want you to see here is that this call to share in suffering, it's not out of the ordinary. This is just normal stuff. 1 Peter 2, 19-21. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And here it is, verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. We are to follow the steps of Jesus, and we are called to suffer. So what Paul's calling Timothy to is not a special brand of Christianity. It isn't just like radical Christianity. It's everyday Christianity. It's the normal stock standard, stripped down, no extra benefits Christianity is that we suffer. It's like, well, we're America. We won't suffer because the rapture will happen before we suffer. Wrong. It may work that way, but it may not. If you think we're not going to suffer persecution because the rapture is going to happen and we believe in pre-trib you know, uh, rapture, well, you, you, need, you got some things out of place. I believe in a pre-trib rapture, and I believe I will not go through the great tribulation when God pours out his wrath for seven years. But to think that we would not suffer all kinds of tribulation from man's wrath is completely not right. It could happen. And we must be, have, a, have a right thinking about it. Now God's power will be realized in suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, 8-10 
It says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart me. So he had uh, you know, a, a weakness, an infirmity in his body. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, my response, most gladly, there's that joy, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. He's doing a little jumping up and down. He's expecting what blessings are coming. And reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's in the weakness, it's in the stepping out that the power of God is manifested in our life. Verses 9 and 10, he talks about, he gives seven truths that really transform us and help us to walk out what he's calling us to do. And, and you got them up there on the screen in front of you, but let me read to you these two verses again. It says, For who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality and to light through the gospel. Every one of these phrases is like its own Bible study, right? That's why, again, I said, you know, in a narrative, you could read a couple of chapters and you can get through it pretty quickly. When you come to a, an epistle, it's like every single phrase is like its own Bible study. You're, you, can, you really focus on the words rather than on, on people and movements. But here are the seven things that he talks about that really will transform us. First of all, we've been saved. We are saved people. We are of a, a different kingdom. And in that salvation should cause us to want to follow the Lord. And God has called us. God has called us, right? We have a holy calling upon our life. You know, you may have a dream as a little boy or a little girl to be something when you grow up, and you work hard at it, and you go to school for it, and then you begin to get the you know, jobs that can set you up for it, and finally you're able to present your resume to a company or to whatever it is you're trying to, to do and say, would you please accept me? And they'll say yes or no. And you got everybody praying around you for, you know, a thumbs up for this. You have worked for that. But your calling from God is not what you've worked for. It's just come from heaven. He says, you. I want you to be on my team. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I forget which one of the uh, movies that's been done. I think a few of them actually have it on the life of Jesus. When he calls his disciples and he says to his disciples, he goes, hey, follow me. And he goes, what are we going to do? And he says, we're going to change the world. And indeed, that is what he is still doing with his followers. He's changing the world. And you have been called into that. Not according to works. You didn't work for it. But according to his grace. According to his purpose. And that's there in verse 9. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. He has a purpose for your life. As a purpose for my life, and there is a grace. And this came to us before time began. And there's a day in which the world was created, but before that, there's eternity past. And in eternity past, God had already called you. He knew of you. It just gives us a sense of significance and meaning in our life and in our purpose. And then he goes on to say, Verse 10 has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So 
This salvation, this call has come as Jesus has come with the gospel. And then lastly, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This gospel that we're to go and preach, what does it do? It takes people from darkness into light, from death into life. It happened to you. It's happened to me. And this is what we're called to do. I mean, our cause is pretty significant, don't you think? The, the, the purpose for God in our life, it's not a secondary thing. It's not, it's not some low-level you know, focus on save the possums in the park program. You know? this, is, this is save people's souls from eternal death. Get involved in the king's work that he has, before time began, put his finger on your life and called you to it. Fulfill it. Walk it out. But sadly, the purpose of the gospel on our life stops with our salvation. But it, doesn't, it isn't supposed to stop there. It's something that's supposed to continue to go out from us. And so, yeah, Jesus, in essence, told his disciples, follow me, we're going to go change the world. And Jesus is still saying that. As a matter of fact, he's saying it to you today. He's saying it to me. Let's go change the world we live in. Oh, enough of this getting mad at what the world is. Are you surprised at what the world is? Why are you surprised that the world is acting like sinners? What's the big, what's the big news flash here? Throughout man's history, man has done corrupt and evil things. Enough of the wringing of the hands. Let's begin with the preaching of the gospel. Because that's what changes people. That's what's going to transform people. And so, these truths, they impact. And we close there with a quick look at verses 11 and 12, where Paul just puts himself out as an example. He says, to which I was appointed a preacher. So I, I've, all these things, that's what I'm doing. An apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles, for this reason, because I've done what God wants me to do, I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep me, keep what I have committed to him until that day. Isn't that a great line? We all should be able to say, I've committed things to the Lord. Now, what do we, what do we commit to the Lord? Well, we commit our faith in him to save our soul. That's a pretty big deal. That's a really big deal. To put your trust in, a, in, in, in someone, a belief. Jesus, I am giving you my eternal soul. I have nothing more valuable and nothing more precious than my eternal soul, but I believe in you to care for it. I commit my, my eternity to you, and I know you're going to take care of it. But you know, Paul had committed more than just his faith in the Lord. He committed his life in Christ to the Lord. So he lived for the Lord, and he says, I'm not ashamed. I don't feel like I've wasted my life, Timothy. I don't feel like I've somehow I've missed out and I didn't really accomplish all that I could have or there's other things I could have done or I have so much more life to live. I'm not ashamed of how things have gone. I am perfectly okay with the fact that it looks like I'm about to die. I'm all right with it because I know whom I've believed and I know what I've committed to him and I know that I am not going to be ashamed when I come before him. I know what he's going to do for me. I know that he's going to welcome me into heaven and I know that he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I am totally okay with the way things are turning out. 
So Timothy, follow my example and suffer. This is the word of the Lord to us. Now don't go pick a fight, okay? Don't, don't go cause trouble. You know, if you're going to you know, suffer, don't suffer as an evildoer. Suffer for one that is proclaiming the name of the Lord. And there, there is plenty enough trouble to come with just that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're bold enough to call us to live a life like this. Lord, I'm sure as you look at us, as you look at Troy, and you say, Troy, follow me. Lay down your life for me. Be willing to suffer and have great joy. Lord, you see in me the weaknesses. Lord, you see in my flesh the, the timidity that would want to withdraw from that. But Lord, you see something greater. You see the power that you supply. And I pray that we all would see that as well today. That we would commit our lives to you. That we would not be ashamed of the gospel. We would not be ashamed of you. We would not be ashamed of one another or those that are well known for their faith in you. That the world may hate. Lord, give us the grace. Give us the power to walk this out. But tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Maybe you've prayed many times for that power in your life, but you've stayed in your seat. You've never gone out on the street with that gospel. Well, this is what I want to say. Why don't you first agree to go to the upper room where you're going to get power to go out. And as you step out, have belief that the power of the Lord is going to meet you in that conversation. You may say, well, I can't go very far. Well, go as far as you can. Maybe you can only go as far as the next contact in your phone book. Go that far. Or maybe it's your neighbor. You can only go that far. I can't go. I can't even leave this town. Fine, there's a lot of people in this town. Maybe you can only go to the cubicle next door to you. Go at least that far. For some of you, he's calling you to go to the ends of the earth. And you go that far. Where he tells us to go doesn't really matter. We all have the same job when we get to that spot, even if we're already there. So as we are in this moment of praying, I'm just going to ask you, if you're willing to take the gospel, if you're willing to step out, but you know you need the power of the Lord upon your life, in just a moment, I'm just going to ask you to stand and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to go. I'll be one of the 120 in your upper room, Lord. And I'll wait for, the, for that power to come that I might go out. And I'll believe that when I begin to speak, like Peter, that you're going to give me boldness. You'll give me the words to share. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there were those that were bold enough to take the message to us. There are those in our, if we were to follow our genealogy of salvation, Lord, we would not have to go too far back to find somebody that suffered some kind of trouble that the gospel might come, and here we are the recipients of it. Lord, we want to be those that are in that next link 
in the proclamation of the gospel.